Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning aware that it's insane that we're here. We remember where you found us. We remember the guilt and the loneliness. Didn't have a flag to follow or a song to sing, and you came. You called us to yourself. And you held us and you promised to never let us go. Father, we praise you and we worship you because you're good, and you're good all the time. But Father, if you'd never cared for us, if you'd never loved us, if you'd never come, if you had never forgiven us, you're still God, and you're worthy of our praise. You are omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and eternal and infinite and immutable and holy and righteous and awesome and sovereign. You are God. Father, you know everybody in this place. You know the stuff that keeps us awake at night. You know the doubts. You know the secrets we can't share. You know the times when we want to run. You know the sin. And we're here. Meet us in this place. May we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. And then, Father, as always, we pray for the one who teaches. Forgive him his sins, because there are many we would see Jesus and him only, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Frankly, this wasn't the sermon I was going to preach. So you're going to miss one of the truly great sermons in the history of the church. <laughs> I was reading a book by Carol Kent. I'm going to interview her at the end of this month on our talk show. And I was blown away with that book. I didn't read her because she was a Christian celebrity. She's that. Celebrities drive me nuts. I didn't, uh, I didn't read her book because she's a famous Bible teacher. If Bible teachers don't confess their sins, don't listen to them. I, 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 I didn't read the book because she was famous or because she was spiritual or because she was pure or because she was obedient, but somebody told me she was real. She traveled the country. People looked at her, her wealth, the way she could articulate the teaching of the gospel, a wonderful family, and people said, you know, if I had what she had, I'd be a Christian too. And then her world came apart. You read about it in the Orlando Sentinel. Her son, a graduate of Annapolis, she was so very proud of him. 
her son, the Christian, the faithful one, the one who had never given her a moment of trouble. Her son got a gun and committed murder outside a restaurant here in Orlando. And all of a sudden, her whole world came apart. You ought to get the book because it's real. It's called When I Lay My Isaac Down. We've all got our Isaacs. Hers was ripped out of her arms, and he's in jail now, and I'm going to be talking to him pretty soon. And all of a sudden, what was sunny became dark. What was beautiful started to rain, and she had to lay her Isaac down. As I was reading through that book, she was making reference to our text for this morning. And I've been thinking about her about her son in prison for life, and about Jesus and his weeping. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You remember the 11th chapter of John. Jesus is doing what Jesus does, and then he get a message from Mary and Martha who says, the one, your brother, Lazarus, the one you loved is dying, and G Jesus Shilly shallies, and Lazarus dies, and then he decides to go to Bethany and be with them. Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened, and then she realized who she was talking to, and she said, but, but it's going to be okay, and then Mary didn't even correct it. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died, and then Jesus goes down to the graveyard. And that's where the text begins. I'm going to start reading this morning from John 11. And I'll start reading at the 32nd verse. John the Apostle writes, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. And then Jesus said, come forth. And that dead man got up out of the grave and he walked. You should have been there. It would have blown you away. But I want you to see the tears of Jesus. I taught you one time on the tears of a patriot. In Luke 19, Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem, and I'm a patriot too, and I understand. And I suggested then that they're not going to listen to us until we weep, no matter what we say. And Jesus wept over the city. And the only other time in all of Scripture where Jesus weeps is in the text that I just read to you. And the question before the house is this, how come? I mean, he was God. 
Lazarus didn't have to die. And even if he died, Jesus was going to call him out of the tomb. The dead man was going to get up and walk. Why in the world was Jesus crying? He was going to fix it. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, I'm going to go down one side road. And I want to show you, maybe, and quickly, that something else is going on here. That's true in life. Whatever you think God is doing in your life right now, he probably isn't, because his ways are circuitous. And as you read through scripture, something else is always going on. If you go to our secular website, it's the place where we demonstrate grace. We have two websites, keylight.org. That's a pedagogical website where we teach. SteveBrownEtc.com is the place where we demonstrate what we mean by grace. And if you'd gone there three weeks ago, you would have seen a Playboy icon. And you would have said, I knew it, Brown's not saved. I've been thinking all along that he's too irreverent to know Jesus. And now he proves it by putting a Playboy icon on his website. But if you click that icon, you know where you'd go? Campus Crusade for Christ. <laughs> the four spiritual laws. I know we, it really wasn't cool. We took it down. But it was fun. Uh, well, something else was going on. The guys that saw it said, wait, cool, I knew I liked Brown. I'm going to Playboy, click it. And they end up in Orlando, Florida at the website of Campus Crusade for Christ. Something else is going on here. I read a Dean Koontz book this week, The Darkest Evening of the Year. And it's a great book about dogs. And as you know, I love dogs. I have four of my German shepherds in heaven, and if you don't believe in doggy heaven, keep your spurious, shallow theological views to yourself. <laughs> but anyway, in this book, the leading character is going through a very difficult time, and the phone rings. Now, she's been raised in an orphanage overseen by nuns, and there was one nun that she liked a lot, and they called her Sister Mouse because of her squeaky voice. When she picked up the phone, Sister Mouse was there, and they talked for a long time. And then Kuntz has the leading figure say, after they had finished talking, something else is going on here, because Sister Mouse has been dead for 10 years. Whoa. You know, I read The Shack. Have you read that book? You ought to read it. If you can deal with God being an African-American woman named Papa, <laughs> you can love that book. That book will get to you. Or if you read Eldridge's books, if you read those books, what they do for our minds is they break us out of the mold and we learn to see there's something behind the something that we thought was there. There's something behind the something that we thought was there. Now, this is an interesting description of what goes on with Lazarus. But what's really going on, I'll tell you, it's a foretaste of a battle. If you had stood on Calvary and your, and your spiritual blindness had been removed, you would have gone, whoa, wow. Because there would be a cosmic battle going on and one that Jesus and his legions won. And this is a foretaste of that. 
You know what's happening in the graveyard in Bethany? Jesus, the Savior, is doing battle with old man death. And Jesus says, death, be not proud. I talked to a woman in Dallas this week, in fact, last night, who husband died. They thought he'd been killed, and then they discovered he committed suicide, and she's devastated. And all they did was talk about Jesus. He's been faithful all these years. He's loved his family. He's... He's been faithful to the church. He's given so much. And they were very generous to Key Life. And we wept together on the phone. And I thought about Bethany in the graveyard where Jesus made an obscene gesture at death. And he said, death, be not proud. Leave this place. And death fled. And Lazarus got out of the grave and he walked. And I think that is way cool. You afraid of death? Well, if you're not, you're a fruitcake. You wake up in the middle of the night and say, it's not my brother or my sister, it's me. It's one out of one and I'm going to die. Some of you young people don't do that often, but I'm old and cramming for finals. And I don't even like that thought. The good news is you're going to heaven. The bad news is you're going on Thursday. I'm not happy, but I think of the graveyard in Bethany when Jesus did battle with death. Death, be not proud. Do you, do you know what's happened to me since I, I've been walking with Jesus more than some of you? Most of you have been alive. I've been doing this a long time. When I started it, I didn't have very many emotions. And when I became a Christian, I had nothing to do with my emotions. I'm not stupid. I read the books, I have a degree in philosophy, I checked out and I decided it's true. And if it's true, I'm gonna live by it as best I can. I told you this before. I mean, I became a Christian for the same reason that I believe in the multiplication tables. It's just true. And so I decided I would be, and when, when I'd be teaching, I'd look out over congregations and people would be weeping. And I, I didn't, but I wanted to stop in the middle of the sermon and say, hey, hey, what, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? What are you, what's that? But now I understand. The more I walk with him, you know what's happening to me? The more emotive I have become. Emotions, even passions, have become more real to me. I love more passionately than I did. And I get angry more passionately than I do. And I irritate more people than I did. And I weep more than I did. And it's him because he lives life to its fullest. And emotion is a third of life. And if you have no emotions, if you don't ever feel it, if you don't ever want to speak in tongues, I don't, but I want to, because I don't have the words for the joy and the laughter that I have. We cry for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I cry is because I've been walking with him, and my tears mingle with his as I think about my life and the lives of the people that I love. We cry for a lot of reasons. Sometimes, we, we cry from laughter. 
You ever get tickled at a funeral? Gosh, I have. It can be even a, something dumb, and you start giggling, and then you think, I can't do this, but you do. And pretty soon, you can't stop. And then the tears are rolling down your face, and they think it's morning, and it's not. It's like you cry from pain when you whack your thumb with a hammer. By the way, I'm a member of the Fellowship of the Stone. I've had kidney stones twice. And you women who've had babies and think you felt pain, you don't know nothing. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but man, there were tears in my eyes, especially the first time when I didn't know what it was. I thought I was going to die. I was deciding who I was going to leave my car uh, to as they took me to the hospital. And then there are crocodile tears. I was speaking at a conference one time and sitting on the front row when somebody else was speaking. And that person wept. And I looked, and their tears and their eyes were dry. It drove me nuts. I thought, I ain't listening to you anymore. Certainly not going to buy a used car from you. But something else is going on here. When Jesus is weeping, what is he weeping for? Lazarus is going to get up and walk. And so I move the previous question. First, I would suggest that when Jesus weeps, the tears are tears of identification. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, big deal. And the word was with God, okay. And the word was God, I knew that. And then, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The most unique thing about our faith is not that God is powerful, but that God enters time and space and blows his nose the way you do and walks our dirty roads and hangs spread eagle on cross beams on the town garbage heap between two thieves that he identifies with us. He doesn't die so you don't have to die. He dies because you're going to die. He isn't lonely to keep you from being lonely. He's lonely as you are lonely. He isn't afraid to keep you from being afraid. He's afraid as you are afraid. The two great theological constructs of the church are transcendence and eminence. The liberals are big into eminence, but they don't know about transcendence. And if you were a bunch of liberals, I would talk about God, awesome and mighty. And I would say, be afraid, be very afraid, but we're not. We know about that. We think God's angry at us all the time, and he's not. I want to talk to you about a God who identifies with everything you experience, who knows the tears and who mingles his tears with yours. At the University of Texas, somebody wrote on the wet plaster of an unfinished men's room, God has cancer. Well, God has had cancer for a very long time. That's awesome. And so when Jesus came and he wept, he wept not to keep you from weeping, but to weep as you weep. And so when you listen for footfalls in the house and they're not there anymore, 
and there's nobody to wind the clocks. If you listen, you'll hear him say, I know. You know what I've been doing all week? I was telling Jeff, I've been doing interviews at the Christian Booksellers Convention. I mean, one after another, after another, after another. Uh, my publisher sends out a, a PR packet and it has bio in it. And then it has suggested questions that people will ask me. So I get to ask the same questions over and over and over and over again. When I do those interviews in my study, I play solitaire while they're asking the question. But you can't do that if you're sitting there. You say, oh my, that's an interesting question. Did you think that up yourself? <laughs> but you don't do that. I mean, you're nice and... You would have been very, very proud of me. I felt like cussing and spitting, and I smiled and talked about Jesus a lot in interview until I got to Mark Elstrand's with WMBI in, uh, in uh, Chicago. We've been friends for a lot of years. And he said, I said, Mark, did anybody tell you about my heart attack? And he said, yeah, I knew about it. And I said, you know, I could die on this interview. I mean, sitting right here, I could die. I'm an old guy, I've had a heart attack. I could die right here. And he said, I could too. I had multiple bypass surgery. <laughs> and so instead of talking about Jesus and my book, we, that's what old people do. <laughs> you talk about your health, unless you talk about a restaurant. <laughs> and so Mark and I, instead of doing what we were supposed to do, we were talking about our hearts and Mark identified and I identified, but how much more if the God of the universe has so loved you that he has come and identified with you. And then, and then I would suggest it's not only tears of identification, I would suggest that when Jesus weeps here in Bethany, it's tears of compassion. In Mark 6, uh, Jesus, just before he feeds the 5,000, looks out on the crowd and he says, man, they got to leave and go to McDonald's. What are we going to do? But Mark says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something if you thought that the God of the universe knew about your loss and the abuse of your past and your secrets and your sin and your failure and your fears and wept because he cared. People from uh, all over the country write us and ask us to pray for them. I mean, and I have three pages every, I can only do it once a week because I can't deal with it. I mean, they, we have a staff person that lists it, just the first name and what they ask for, for prayer. And I'd like to say I did it every day, but I can't. I do it once a week because I can't stand it. I'm depressed after I do it. This is the first set that I read on Thursday as I prayed for these people. Joe. His mother just died. Pastor Daniel, he's had a stroke. He can't preach. It's all he can do, a swift recovery. 
Maria, husband Bill, died in May, married 26 years, Ordway, abandoned by his family, and he feels so lonely. Vida, nearing bankruptcy. John, lost job in China as a teacher after 25 years. Judy, cancer, and it's spread to the lungs. Jason, be able to see his son, whom he loves. Diane, dementia and stomach pain. Wade, to stop drinking. Sandra is suicidal. Howard and Kathy are going through a divorce. Dennis is struggling with God's grace. David is struggling with same-sex attractions and he just fell and he can't stand himself. Omar is dying with ALS his small son with leukemia. Gwen is 85 years old and she's afraid to die. Cynthia, back surgery. And it goes on and on and on. And I go, oh God, I can't deal with this. I was in India a few years ago. Walked the, walked the streets of Calcutta. When we were in a cab, every time you cracked the window, a hand came in that was thin, begging for money, for food. I look from my fancy hotel down on the streets of Calcutta, and I saw the hungry and the poor and the destitutes living in lean-tos, and it was everywhere that I went. I, couldn't, I could hardly wait to get out of India because I couldn't absorb it. I just couldn't take it. It was just too I didn't know what to do with it, and I couldn't fix it. Jesus absorbed all of it, and that's the reason. He wept. He absorbs yours. But I would suggest that it's not only tears of identification and not only tears of compassion, but tears of helplessness. And you say, wait, 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 wait. This is Jesus, okay. He wouldn't have, yeah, he was. In Mark 6, the first part of Mark 6, Jesus comes to his hometown. And Mark makes a really profound comment. And Jesus could do no mighty work there. We say God can do whatever he wants to do. Let me ask you something. Can God create a stone bigger than he can lift? Think about that a second. Can God create a stone bigger than he can lift? Steve, you're just playing games with words. I know, but let me tell you something else. God operates in the context of suffering and pain and death, and I hate it. But he does. When I was a pastor, I'm not a pastor anymore. They used to pay me to be good, and now I'm good for nothing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I did a lot of counseling, still do a lot of counseling. And I put a sign because I kept trying to, it's in guys' DNA. We want to fix things. And so if somebody come in, I want to make them feel better. So I start talking, and because I have a deep voice and look like their grandfather, they feel better when they leave. And I had a sign in the center drawer and I used to pull it out and it said, shut up, God's doing something. And so sometimes I had to work hard and not trying to fix stuff because God in the pain I wanted to fix was working his will for his glory. And our, I don't understand that. But, but you know what I believe? I believe when we get home, we're going to say, God, you messed that one up. If you really loved him, he wouldn't have been that way.
If you loved me, you would have given me more stuff. I wouldn't have died if you had loved me. My kid wouldn't have died. I wouldn't have, where were you when the abuse was going on? Where were you? And I think we'll see the tears of the divine one more time. And God will say, if I could have done it another way, I would have done it another way. I would suggest that the tears of Jesus are tears of identification, of compassion, of helplessness, but also, and it gets better now, tears of joy. In the last chapter of the book of Revelation 22:20, Jesus, who's the one that's been doing most of the talking in Revelation, did you know that? John's relating, but Jesus has a lot to say. And then as you move into that last chapter, the, the text says, the one who's been telling you all this stuff, get ready. I'm coming soon. Do you, do you know when I cry mostly? I don't much, but I do sometimes. I don't cry when bad stuff happens. I, re, I Maybe you're this way. I cry when good stuff happens after the bad stuff happens. I mean, if I'm going to a movie and, you know, people are dying and bad things are happening, I don't cry then. I cry when the father finds the son and the, the soft music comes up at the end. I cry, I cry when the little girl gets well. I cry when it's fixed. And the music plays at the end. That's why I don't like movies that don't have happy endings. Not because I'm unrealistic. I'm realistic about this life, but I'm a Christian. Life has a happy ending. He's promised and he doesn't lie. And I believe Jesus looked at the mourners and listened to their tears. He looked at Mary and Martha and he loved them and he wanted to hug them and he wanted to fix it. He looked at Lazarus and said to himself, this is no favor for you. You're going to have to die twice. And once is hard. And then Jesus, even as he called the dead man out of the tomb, thought of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he heard the music of the angels and the tears welled up in his eyes because they were tears of hope. And they were tears of joy. Uh, did you see the Indiana Jones movie? Was that cool or what? I love those movies. You remember, remember when uh, Indy's on a motorcycle and he's going through the university, he goes into the library, and being a professor, I know what this is, and a student, I mean, he's fleeing for his life, he's on a motorcycle, he's in the library of the university, and a student stops him to ask a question. You want to go, kid, shut up and leave me alone, I can die here, but he didn't. He listened to the question, and then Indiana Jones said to the student, son, if you want to be a real archaeologist, you got to get out of the library. What a great statement. If you want to be a real archaeologist, you got to get out of the library. That's what God did. He got out of the library. He came out of the heavens. The incarnation is awesome. It's mind-blowing. If it's true, it ought to change your life. I go to God and I say, God, I will do whatever you say because you're big and you're scary and you'll break my legs if you don't. 
If you want me to kneel, I will kneel because you're God and I'm not. If you, if you want me to worship you, I'll use words of worship and praise even if I don't feel it because you're God and you scared the spit out of me. Tears? God, what's with the tears? Oh, now I understand. And if you listen to what I taught you this morning, you do too. You think about that. I'm in. Thanks for listening. And if you're up for reading, make sure you click articles in the main menu of the app to check out the latest from Steve and all your favorite Key Life voices. Thank you.